Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Doing that, I was face to face with it. It was holding me by my throat. And it felt like it was sucking something out of me. I probably should have been more scared than I was when I witnessed the exorcism. I turned and looked on my right side. When I did, there's there's a beam on the side of the tree, a large beam. It's looking at me and I'm looking at it. After I hit the lock button and looked back up, I saw red eyes staring back at me. That they're going to show multiple gods all over the earth, be able to speak in people's languages, and at that point, it kind of converge into this one entity, which will be revealed as extraterrestrial. You'll realize that aliens are the gods of old, and at that point, it'll wipe religion out of the context of humanity. No, it couldn't have been a person, I know that. I know that people can't run through the woods like that. So this thing comes into view, and I see it. It's 50 yards away from me. It's walking. It's walking on two legs. It's huge. This is a big, hairy-looking being. So, uh, our first episode together, um, we're, what, 62, 63, so literally like 30-something 30, uh, 30, 30 episodes ago. Um, you, I'm trying to think what month it was. Uh, it was warm, I think. Yeah, I believe it was in the, in the summer months. Um, mm-hmm. But you, you had reached out to me about uh, some, some sounds that you were capturing on your on your property there down in mm-hmm. what is it the Monroe Morgan or Morgan Monroe Morgan Monroe Forestry Forestry so your your property butts up basically right up against that correct not not up against it cuz our our woods are private where we are but it's probably 20 minutes away okay so very close yeah um and right and to the, so if, to the white river yeah so if you're if you're interested i suggest going back to episode 30 and we highlight the the uh, recordings that she she had there, 
And uh, I sent those those recordings off to, I believe, James Lady, who, who does a good deal of uh, work with audio. He, I believe one of them, he narrowed down to being a, um, consistent with a coyote. Mm-hmm. But, but the one, he's like, I have no idea what the hell that is. It doesn't really match any of my other recordings and... Um, I thought that was that was pretty interesting, and uh, then I think what around October, you had extended an invitation for me and a, a friend of mine to come down there to your property, and we were going to spend the weekend there, and uh, we had everything packed up, and good lord, the rain did not rain. stop for days, yeah, and uh, you had indicated it was the same down there, and everything was pretty much a washout, so um, we never did make it down there. You had another couple of interesting things happen, uh, one on Christmas Day, and then uh, just about a month ago, maybe three weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I told you I told you about it when that happened, so I think it's been, it took like a week for that cast to set up, so yeah. it's been a couple of weeks at least. So, so what, hap- what happened on Christmas Day? Well, <clears throat> the last time that I had heard the howler it was before we went to um, the last conference i went to that was in ann arbor so that was what july that was that was mid-july and i think if i remember right you said that uh that you had heard it like early 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 july like july 3rd july 4th something like that i think july i was thinking like july 8th like it was just a couple days before we leave the conference was the last time that i heard it but then um you know, hadn't heard it again until Christmas Day of all days, leaving to go to my daughter's house. And it was, we were supposed to be there at six. I think it was around 530. So it's already dark. And I was walking down the stairs with, you know, wrapped gifts and bags and food we were taking and, you know, that whole deal. I had my keys in my hands. And just as it came out from the door onto the porch, I heard it howling. So, of course, Tom's noisy behind me, coming up behind me through the door, and I'm like, shh, it's a holler, holler. So we kind of like froze for a minute. And then he said something like, oh, I've never got to hear it. And then I'm creeping down the stairs because I'm wanting to get to my phone. And I have all this stuff in my hands, you know, like how women are. I've got my, my purse and all <laughs> these bags and my keys and trying to get downstairs. And so when I got to the car, it had howled a couple more times by the time I got down the stairs because our house is on a hill so the first floor is actually a second floor and then there's a long flight of stairs so by the time I got down to the car I'm trying to hurry and I set everything on the hood of the car but when I did my keys like clinked the hood of the car really loud and I was like you know how it is like you don't want to think and I hear whatever it is it's going to you know know I'm nearby or whatever and stopped howling it did. Yes. So it hurt me. That's that's the thing that was. I mean, based sounded, on based on the the volume of of the howl itself, was it was it close? It was yes. If the one video that I sent you where I said it was more towards the front of the property that oh. goes through some woods and mm-hmm. there's a cornfield out there, it was in that direction. So it was kind of in this in the same direction that I heard it before when it sounded closer. Yeah. So the thing, 
when it when the keys clanked though, I just had that feeling like shoot, like yeah. that was you know, that was a little too much, and then it didn't howl again. Hmm. So I thought, you know, here it is winter time on Christmas Christmas evening of all times. You know, I hear it again and hadn't heard it since, since July. July. Yeah. Um. So I and to, and to be fair, you know, some people would say, well, that's not that big of a deal. It could be happening in between, you know, the times. Sure, and I'm, and I'm not, yeah. I could but be you, you, do spend, or... you do spend a lot of time outdoors because you have quite a few animals that you tend to. And um, you, you right. basically, you go out to your, your she shed, <laughs> your uh, yeah. studio um, mm-hmm. quite often. So y- you are out, you are out and about on that property a good deal of the time, aren't you? Right. I don't work away from home. So I'm, I'm here and it, yeah, it's not anything for me to be outdoors at eight, for eight hours. I'm either, you know, this time of year, I'm, I'm doing a lot of landscaping and gardening and we've got the three ponds and all the, all of our livestock, of course. And then, you know, the little studios close to the house. So speaking of your livestock, have you, have you had any, uh, anything come up missing recently? I haven't had anything come up missing. I've had I've had something that's been killed, but it wasn't whatever killed it got inside of the pen because uh. the door was shut again. So I think that probably was you know a possum or a raccoon, and we yeah. have that happen too. Well, it's not like some of the the instances that I told you before where it was like the doors were completely shut and locked, but the animal was gone. Missing, <laughs> no, yeah. no feathers. Yeah. What were they? Quail. Yeah. They were quail, yeah. yep. uh, quail and pheasant. Yeah, the, the quail was the quail was probably the beginning of me just thinking this isn't right. Like, what mm-hmm. happened? You know, how could this have happened? And then, you know, and then it was later on that these mature male pheasants. I told you in the other interview, like I have a hard time getting a hold of them they are crazy game you know they're flying all around and i go in with with eye protection and i'll put on my old fire gear or whatever because i'll just scratch you up and that's if even if you manage to get a hold of them they just don't want you to touch them so but anyway you know that that was the other thing going out there and they're completely gone and the door shut it's like they're they're not even easy to catch so where did they go yeah and that was another situation where there was no feathers. So really some odd things. But the only other thing since hearing the How Christmas Day was the finding an imprint in the yard two or three weeks ago. Yeah. Hmm. Almost everything else has been the normal. So the you sent me the picture of the imprint. Mm-hmm. And... Um, it looked pretty impressive. Um, it at least had uh, the shape of a human-like foot. Mm-hmm. And I suggested, you know, casting it. And you you went ahead and did that. Um, unfortunately, the ground was wet and yeah. did not did not dry out <laughs> at, at any point during the drying process of the casting material. Um, and you had some problems removing it, but you did get it out. 
and I still have it. I'll probably actually bring it this weekend just for fun. Yeah. It's, it it's it does two. very it does very much have the shape of a a, a humanish humanoid uh, foot. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I, in the picture that I saw of it, I couldn't I couldn't really see any um, toe stems or or indentations from what would be the toes. No. Um, but the 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 overall outline of the shape of the the foot is very humanish. Um, did you ever happen to measure it? What what were the the measurements on it, width and length? The measurements in the I measured those with the pictures that I sent you, and just so I would have documentation. Mm-hmm. But I'm trying to think, was it near seventeen? Or was it? I'd have to go back and look. The only thing I can remember for sure is that the the heel. Remember the back part of the heel looked like it was only like four and a half inches or so. Because I remember you saying that the heel looked narrow. Yeah. But I remember that part. And then the imprint itself went down into the ground about four inches. Oh, wow. I have to go, I have to go back and look at my my um, pictures that I still have on my phone to be for sure. But, I mean, it was, it was fairly big. It was, you know. And four and a half inches. I mean, I understand that the ground was was uh, pretty saturated, and and it was yeah, it, it was, was a muddy muddy area. But that's uh, man, that's that's a deep that's a deep impression. Yeah, and it was mushy clay. If back there, um, it's hard to even get. I don't even see my foot footprints back there. If you've seen a yard, you know that's just clay when it's completely dry. I mean, it's rock hard and it's yeah. solid. There's a few pebbles, you know in there but um there's a runoff so there was just a big mushy spot that runs down where there's a little outhouse and i just keep straw and hay in it and one of my chickens will go out there and lay eggs so i usually don't even go out there unless i'm going to get straw or alfalfa and i had this one hen it was a little cat box I had sitting in there with the lid was up and she would go in there and lay eggs in that little cat box so I had gotten into a habit of going out there about every day just to see if she had left eggs out there and some days I would forget there'd be two or three eggs you know and I'd get them so that's why I was walking out that way and just happened to look down and you know notice that footprint and I thought did I do that? You know, that was my, my first instinct. And I seen how deep it was. I thought if I would have done that, I would have remembered because that week it was really cold and rainy and just like the freezing rain, sleet kind of stuff, you know, going on. So the only thing I knew to do, I took some, I thought now, you know, it can't, it can't be anything. I'm looking for, for other tracks. And I did see some, marks but they weren't imprints they mm-hmm. just looked like where the ground maybe looked like it was a little bit different but there wasn't another deep imprint anywhere and which i look which is so strange because you know so many times it's reported that you know there's, of, there's only like one footprint. yeah yeah and it's like <laughs> yeah. what what what's the deal with that you know i mean i don't know Unless it's something else. That's the only thing I've ever thought of is something that looks like a footprint. You know, I think yeah. that when I, when I see pictures, so I'm thinking, oh, there would be 
more than just one. So my instinct when I found that one was to just go looking around areas of the yard where I know there's soft mud or softer areas. It's like the front part, front part, even out by my studio, the ground is so much different. It's, it's like really dark, rich dirt. I mean, it's a mud hole. It's just the total opposite. It's there's some grass out here. Um, there's a place where I feed the deer and there's just, you know, deer tracks like crazy where they come up and step in it when it's a damp like that. And so I always go look because I think, well, maybe I'll find, you know, another one. But nothing like that, you know, nothing, nothing that deep. Enough where I would think I want to take pictures of it and maybe cast it. Because I, any time that I thought I've seen a uh, maybe a footprint before, pictures don't do them justice a lot of times. Like I can look at it with my bare eye and see an outline, but when I try and take a picture. It, you can barely see it. it. Even if you try and change the lighting with the filter so you can see the outline, and it, it's just never as good as seeing it in person. Right. So I thought uh, to take pictures of that one because it was, was so deep and then didn't have any plaster. I think you had even asked me if I was going to cast it or mm-hmm. should, and I'd already thought that I should, but I didn't have any plaster so i went to menards or lowe's and got some of the got some and i thought i was getting the ready ready mixed stuff that you don't have to mix which i prefer because it's a lot easier and i don't have to worry about getting you know the ratio right with the water and all that kind of stuff so with this one i mixed it up and it just seemed like it was a little bit too runny Mm -hmm. and i thought well maybe you know maybe it'll be all right so I poured it in there and let it set a little bit, and I poured a little bit more on top of it. And then, yeah, I think it was that thing. It seemed like it took over a week before. When I finally thought, okay, this thing is not going to work out, I, like, dug my finger in it, and it was still wet. Like, I was getting plaster on my fingers. Jesus. And it was really cold. And, you know, we didn't have any. I had it covered up just so the rain and freezing rain and stuff would stay off of it, and the ground was just really cold. So I finally just got the shovel and decided I was going to try and get it out of there because it probably wasn't going to be good anyway. And, of course, the heel part broke off, like often they do. Mm-hmm. I didn't think about going to stick in there or anything like that. When we did plaster casts in college, we would always put something in our casts just to, you know, so that they wouldn't break when we tried to pull them out of the molds. Sure. And uh, so... I got it out and let it sit on the table for a little bit. And the, the underside of it had dried some. It was just that top part that was exposed, I guess, to all the moisture and everything. And that it, was a little wet. <clears throat> Excuse so me. So it's clumpy. You know, it's clumpy, and it just, it's not a great cast or anything. But, you know, it's it still has the right shape or form that it's just a little odd to me that it is anything other than a footprint. Yeah. It definitely, it definitely does have that. The outline um, does look distinctive enough that I would, I would look at it and be like, "Looks like a foot." Looks like a foot. <laughs> yeah. Um, going back real quick. Going back to uh, the heel breaking off. I saw something uh, that I haven't seen before, and it was 
just some just some nobody no no big uh youtube channel or anything associated with it it was just like this guy uh, i couldn't find anything else by him it was uh it was one video and it was talking about doing um plaster casts of um wildlife prints you know like wolf and and stuff like that and <coughs> excuse me um he he kind of jokingly said if you come across anything you know much bigger than that like say oh a bigfoot cast and he pulled out a roll and and i've used this uh, when i did drywall in my basement and stuff is um it's like a fiberglass tape that has a bunch of um a bunch of square holes going through the the tape and he said if you take this and you you lay that in you know pour some of your plaster in and tear off a piece of this and put that in there and then pour the rest of the plaster over it, that that helps strengthen the, the cast. And even if it does break, it doesn't allow it to fall completely off and, and hopefully not um, degrade the cast where, where it cracked at. So just an idea. Um, It looked like it worked pretty good for him. And uh, so it's, it's called fiberglass tape. Yeah, it's 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 a drywall tape, but it's it's made out of fiberglass um, oh. or possibly like a nylon or something. But it's it's like a mesh, two inch wide strip of tape. Okay. And where you go to butt your joints together um, when you're doing drywall, you run that tape across there, and then um, you put your uh, your plaster over it, and it seals so that you can sand it. You know, to get rid of the seams. And he just took some of that and he folded, he tore off a piece, folded it in half, and then he stuck it in the print. And then he poured plaster over the top of it. So it sandwiched it in there. And that kept it from, you know, even if it cracked, it wouldn't fall apart and, you know, possibly drop a piece and and crumble it or anything like that. So I thought that was a good idea. It is. People listen to this podcast will be like, oh man, it's a good idea. So if you're going to, if you're going to, Pack all your stuff up and carry casting material with you. Get yourself a, a cheap roll of that and throw that in there as well. Exactly. I was going to say, we probably have tons of it in the garage somewhere from the number of thoughts. So. Yeah, I'm sure I still have some I don't, left I don't over go from around my casting. Yeah, I don't, I don't even think I've touched any plaster since you know I was in art school. I really don't have any need to. Yeah. But clay could have taken have taken some clay out there and made like a mold if it would have been dry. Yeah, that's You'd true have too. Like the, could have like pressed some clay down in there, some some air dry clay and let it clay or dry. And I would try that with just some other kind of like make an imprint in the ground and see how that works. Well, actually, but if anyway. uh, if any of my listeners are planning on coming to my September event, Bigfoot and Brews in Dwajak, Michigan. There will actually be a vendor there who sells, and they're they're giving one of the kits to me for a raffle prize. Is a, a company that makes a casting kit, all all in one kit. We so there you go. relatively decent pricely priced on it too. I think it was somewhere in the neighborhood of twenty five dollars for the entire kit. So, well, I bet we'll go home with one, get one before they run out. That just sounds like something up Tom's alley. You'd be like, oh, I'm going to get me one of those. <laughs> you know, and, and it comes in a box, and the box has got a kind of a cool little Bigfoot thing on it. And I thought, well, what a 
what a great idea. Yes. Everything you need to, to cast your own print. So. Yes, definitely. I probably should get some, some stuff and just have it around in case, you know, something happens again. Yeah. It, it really wouldn't be a bad idea to be honest no. with you. I mean, you've had enough, uh, you've had enough things that would, um, you know, I could, I could see if, if some of your, your experiences were really easily explained away and, and they're really mm-hmm. not, um, especially with the, uh, the gift of your, uh, tree implanted yeah. right outside yeah. of your, uh, studio. Yeah. But, um, and if people are curious about that, go back and listen to episode 30. It's, uh, it, it's in there, but did uh, I, t- I told you that broke off. Did I? Um, no, I don't think you did. Last, yeah, I think, last we had talked yeah, about it, it you said still it was there. Still, yeah, it was still there when we did the the other interview, and then I don't remember exactly when it was, but I but I walked out here, and it was laying on the steps instead of being stuck in the ground. It was just laying on the steps. Oh, like it had been pulled out and laid across your steps? Yeah, or broke off, because I, I looked, and there was a little, little bit down in the bottom, oh. like that was still stuck in the ground. Hmm. So it was as if it got grabbed and laid down or, you know, just ended up falling that way. But it was laying across the steps one day and I was like, Oh, okay. So I, I picked it up and I, I laid it at the end of the studio where I pile a bunch of stuff. Cause I felt like I should keep it. <laughs> it's yeah. like, but, well, listen, I know you've got a lot, uh, a lot of packing to do to get ready for this weekend. And, uh, the, the reason I wanted to get you back on the show is, oh yeah, um, I think, I don't know if we touched on it in the actual episode or if it was while we were discussing before we started recording, um, you had indicated that you had spent some part of your life as an EMT. Mm-hmm. And you also said that you had a couple of experiences uh, while doing that job that led you to believe that there was something maybe not quite right spiritually with right. Uh, a couple of the uh, a couple of the people that you had to attend to. Yeah. So I was hoping you wouldn't mind telling us about those. Um. Yeah. In let's see, gotta go back. I almost spent twenty years in EMS. I started out as an EMT. And then I got my firefighter certification through Indiana. So I was an EMT firefighter for about eight years. And then I took a paramedic class. So then I was paramedic firefighter. And then my final few years, I was just paramedic full time with the fire department. So having said that, that just means the type of runs that I went on, you know, varied, whether it was just a an EMT run where it was like first responder run or if it was to be fire run. Paramedic, you pretty much go on everything because mm-hmm. you you go with the EMTs, you know, in case in case they need to have you know advanced life support, and you go for fire just to just to do rehab and you know be there in case not only if there might be a patient, but if a firefighter gets injured, you know. Mm-hmm. I never but, I never thought about that to be honest. With yeah, you. so it's just kind of so you were in a support role for for the first responders as well. Yeah. It's kind of like once you get it to par- paramedic level, um, you make more money, but you're also involved in everything. You have your hands in everything. Yeah. Um, I think the only time we 
didn't, you know, respond with a with an engine as if it was just um, sometimes just depending on what fire department you you work at too. If it was just a simple, you know, fire alarm's gone off or something, they might go ahead and send the engine ahead. And then if it's marks a working fire, then we would they would dispatch us to go. Um, but you know, you just you never get any rest. You know, you're on the run all the time. Very rare in 20 years that I remember maybe we would, you know, start a 24-hour shift and have one or two runs during the day, and then we'd actually get to, you know, have dinner at the fire station and sleep through the night, you know. Uh, It just doesn't happen a lot when you're a paramedic, which uh, my son's an EMT and firefighter now with with IFD, and I've tried and talked him into going to taking the paramedic course in a few years just because make a little more money. But, you know, he's like, I don't know if I want all that responsibility (laughs) (laughs) and have to have my hands in everything. And I was like, and that, that really made me think about, you know, the fact is it's, it pretty much is you're going to be there depending on, you know, very rarely are you not going to have to go on every single run that gets dispatched. So it's retiring. You get to see it all, of course. Um, but, you know, there there were a few times over the years, and we're talking, it was like 19 plus years, um, that, you know, sometimes you would just have a run that would be a little off or weird. And when you asked me to talk about this, I, you know, there's like a couple runs that like pop in my head, and these are from years ago. You know, so, you know, you always say I wouldn't call it traumatic, but when something really, you know, causes you to, I don't know, attach feelings to it in some way because it scared you or yeah. it made you very happy, you know, you remember those things. But we had a, we had a run that came out and it was for like mental, emotional run. You know, so we so we go, and the funny thing is, sometimes on those runs, unless the person's already being very combative, you know, the police aren't there, the police don't get dispatched with us, the engine doesn't get dispatched with us for manpower, because they will sometimes, you know, they'll, the engine will go with us on, like, a cardiac arrest run, or any time that you're going to need a lot of manpower, they'll send the engine, even if it's a medical run, so... This particular run, it was just, at first, it was just me and my partner, mental, emotional. Um, dispatch felt like it was something, you know, that he could just send us out at 10 or 11 o'clock at night. It was only a few blocks from our firehouse where we were dispatched. But we get there, and a gentleman met us at the door and said, you know, it's my daughter. That's about it. And I'm like, okay, what's wrong with her? Because you don't assume anything. You don't want to, you know, you're getting it's a mental, emotional. You don't know anything else is going on. And normally a lot of times, like I said, the engine will be with us. You have a lot of people. There's already three or four cops there. And um, so he just kind of pointed like, eh, she's down the hall. And went and sat back down in a chair in the living room and there was a younger man in a recliner and they're sitting there watching TV. And I thought, okay, this isn't good because this probably is someone that 
you know, they have to deal with all the time that has issues. Yeah, and I, I, was, thought, well, I was going to say that. It's kind of a nonchalant yeah. reaction to it. Yes. But then at the same time, I'm thinking, but they must not call 911 when it's my shift because I had never been to that house. Other shifts, maybe. I don't know. You know, we had ABC shifts. So, but she wasn't what we, excuse me, no disrespect, but, you know, what we called our frank, frequent flyers, you know, people that just called us all the time. Mm-hmm. And usually never for anything life threatening. It was just, I don't, people just do that. It's kind of a attention thing or more of a welfare welfare check, you know. Sometimes they don't. Uh, they just want somebody around them, right? You know. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so I looked at my partner and I'm like, I don't feel right about this because normally we have a bunch of men with us on the fire engine, or we already have police on scene. Here's these two men just kind of like, eh, she's down the hall. I don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. You know, when you go through training, they always teach you scene safety, you know, BSI, put your gloves on and scene safety that comes before, you know, patient care or anything else. That and environmental awareness, knowing knowing what's going on around you. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I, I'm, that's where I was going to kind of go with, I think sometimes I felt like I was more in tune or sensitive when things just didn't seem right compared to, you know, some of the people that I worked with. And my partner was much younger than me. Um, and I told him, I said, I don't want to go back there unless we've got the engine here or, you know, a PD scent. And he just, you know, young guy, like, mm, you know, you're going to be a big deal about this kind of thing. So I kind of walked towards the door and stood at the edge, and I could see there was a woman um, laying in there kind of on her side on a bed. So I'm waiting for him, like looking at him, like, do as I told you, <laughs> giving him the mom look. Yeah. And so he gets on the radio and he's like, you know, dispatch me up, he did do the scene. And you want me to start the engine? You know, and I just kind of looked at him with bigger eyes and he's like, okay. So kind of held off for a few minutes because, like I said, it was only a few blocks from the station. So it didn't take him very long to get there. You can practically hear the sirens, you know, when they're leaving. When they leave the garage. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I felt better that they were on their way. And, you know, a lot of times when you're on your radio, too, unless you step outside, you don't want to say a whole lot mm-hmm. in a situation. To You're always thinking about you don't want to, you, know, you don't want the people there or the patient to hear you say same things. Right, like yeah. Escalate a situation or whatever. So once they got there, then I felt better to approach the room. I stepped inside the room. And one of the police officers or someone off the engine, I just remember a male voice talking to the men that were in the living room, like maybe trying to get some information as to why, you know, why we were there, why we were called. And uh, I told them, uh, you know, later on, they just weren't really paying any attention to us. They just kind of disregarded us when we walked in the, into the house. So... I think I just spoke out to the woman and I said, you know, excuse me, you know, like, she, I didn't know she was asleep. I didn't know what was going on. And so she turned, she kind of turned. Do we have, do we, let's, let's, kind, let's kind of set the stage here. Lights are on in the room. It's dark. Yes. Okay. 
Yes. Right. No, they were on Cause, the whole house. Because I'm picturing, I'm picturing a dark bedroom. Oh. You're flicking the light switch on; it won't oh, go no, no, on, no. and then these glowing no. eyes spin around and look no. at you. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't have gone in. No, no, no. <laughs> like everything I'm describing happened very quickly. Like we get there, they like, and she's down the hall. We're kind of, you know, got one foot to, going towards a room, and me not wanting to go, you know someplace down a hall where I don't even see the patient. The you know, family wasn't really giving us any information whatsoever. They just kind of was like, you know, she's your responsibility. She's down the hall in the bedroom, you know, right. and there's several doors anyway. I mean, what bedroom? So me getting a little, you know, aggravated and also feeling like this may not even be a safe situation and telling my partner to call, you know, and get more people there. It all happened very quickly. It sounds like it was, you know, twiddling my thumbs, but it, but it really was just like, this isn't right. Let's do this. Let's do this. And then uh, once I heard them and heard them talking to, to them, then I spoke out to her and I just remember kind of turning and acknowledging that someone said something to her, but not really saying a whole lot. And that's when someone came down from one of the other firefighters and, you know, talking very loudly you know, to my partner, oh, she's, she was fighting with them, and she's saying that they, you know, uh, abused her and this and that. And so I'm still trying to get her attention, you know, and talk to her. And they're being loud just right outside the door. So and so she kind of acknowledged I was there, but then when she heard them, she kind of sat up and, you know, spun around and put her feet on the floor and was kind of looking at me and she was just very um like she was there but just not animated or anything she was just kind of sitting there you know staring at me and I thought well she's listening to these you know jug heads out in the hall being too loud you know talking about her <laughs> and I think with me just just being a, a mom and wanting to be kind to people and you know, respectful as to what their issues were, whatever. I approached my patients a lot differently, you know, than some of the guys would, you know. They sometimes just wanted to get in the car in the truck and go back to the firehouse. They didn't want to, you know, do anything. But dealing with somebody that's got a mental, emotional problem or something going on, that's the last thing you want to do. Hey, come with me. You know, we're, we're leaving. I'm taking the hospital or whatever. Most of the time they don't want, they don't want to be bothered, you know, and they don't want to go to the hospital. So I, I asked her, you know, something like, are you okay? Now your family called for us to come see you or whatever. And she just, she just kind of sat there and, you know, had a little smirky grin on her face. And I'm just thinking, I just don't like this. <laughs> it's just a really weird situation from the beginning. So, um, the guys are getting impatient, just wanting, you know, for us to load her up and go to the hospital if that's what we're supposed to be doing. You know, they just want to be done with the whole run. Right. So I asked her, I said, well, would you like for us to take you to the hospital, your family, so that you, you needed to go? And she stands up really quickly, like in one motion and just like walks right up to me and gets just a few inches from my face. I remember I stepped back real quick, like, okay, she's, she's like whispering to me and saying, Oh, well, 
they sexually abuse me, so I fight with them, and that's why they called you, because I started fighting with them. And her, her eyes were just so dark. Like, I almost didn't see a people, which really freaked me out. You see in the horror shows yeah. where it's just the black eye? Yeah. That's kind of what I'm seeing after she's just walked up on me really quick and whispering, and she almost has a tone of voice that she thinks it's funny, you know. Were you get were you getting so, any kind of vibes off this? I mean, were you getting, um, you know, maybe the indication that you thought, you know, there were some drugs involved with what was going on, or uh, um, were you were you getting a were you getting a strong sense that there was some mental instability, or was it just or was it just off? I almost feel like in the beginning it was just off, because the reason why I remember. You know, this runs so much. It's because I don't know if you've ever been in those situations before where you feel like someone's off or, you know, maybe there's, you know, a possession, but you just feel like, I think I was just kind of thinking, I'm a Christian. I can handle this. I have faith. Yeah. I'm not afraid of the devil. <laughs> you start thinking about stuff like that, you know, and I felt more threatened it was almost like, yeah, it was almost like, um, you know, it was almost like Christian and a demon also were face to face. You know, and I know we've, we've had this conversation I felt before. Threatened. I don't know how else to say it. Maybe I felt like, like I was threatened and yeah. being, you know, and uh, what I was going to say was we've had this conversation before and I know you have a strong faith, but mm-hmm. you're not what somebody would consider, and not to be disrespectful, but just to kind of hammer home the, the point, you're not a fire and brimstone, you know, Bible thumping, um, you know, you have, you have a strong faith, but in it's, and it's, it's, it's not funny. That's not the right word. It's, it's so strange for me, for you to jump to that. Mm-hmm in the presence of that, you know, I mean, typically you would think it's like, Oh man, this chick is high as a kite or, you know, man, she's off her meds or, right. Which I've seen that all the time, you know, but Uh, for you to, for you with the, the spiritual armor that you carry to, to, uh to go directly to that, it might be more telling than, than we realize. Right. And, I think after I told her, I said, well, we would, I, I just said something to her, like, would you like to go to the hospital with me then? Because I thought if she was being abused, she was just defending herself, even though her demeanor was off, you know, mm-hmm. that's what I'm supposed to do, take her to the hospital, give her, you know, refuge and get her into some care or whatever. So, I'm walking across my yard. If you hear my turkey, <laughs> it's getting dark now, so I gotta lock them up. But uh, I, you know, just ask her, well, "Will you go to the hospital with me?" I take the hospital, and she goes, "Yeah, I'll go." Or you know, something just really just strange behavior. It was almost like it really wasn't her. Is the way I was feeling. And it really was like somebody that was um, not acting themselves. And like you said, you think about, well, are they high? Is it drugs? 
do they take a medication? Is that normal for them to, you know, behave this way? Because obviously you don't know, you don't know your patients other than, you know, a report of what the family gives you. It's not like you're picking them up from the hospital and taking them back to their residence or something um, after rehab and you've got their paperwork laying in front of you and you can read it, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So I, uh, I got her to walk out of the house. I just asked her if she wanted to walk out of the you know house or she wanted to get on the cot. She didn't want to get on the cot. So she got her coat and she didn't look at the family as she passed by them or anything. She just kind of walked walked out the front door with me and climbed up to the ambulance and sat on the cot. When she was on the cot, I had to you know, put her in the seatbelts and everything. So I'm, you know, I got her on the cot and build her in like I normally would. And usually if you can picture the inside of an ambulance, how the cot is and the patient faces the back of the ambulance. And then there's that bench seat where the paramedic mm-hmm. usually will sit. Yeah. We take their vitals and get a, you know, more of a report from them and, EKG or whatever we want to do. Well, with her, I got her buckled in. I felt so uncomfortable with her that I decided to sit what we call the airway seat, which is at the head of the cot. So I was sitting directly behind her. And normally I take that spot if I just feel very uncomfortable. If the patient is just a little bit, you know, combative or could be combative or I just, I don't want him like just being able to reach out and grab me. Right. Um, you're, you're in a, you're in a more controlled, you're in a more controlling position. Yeah. I, I want to be behind them. There's that little opening where, you know, my partner can hear me better. Um, so anyway, sorry, I'm trying to talk to you and lock up my, all my birds. Um, but anyway, so I decided I was going to sit there. And normally I don't do that. I only do that if I just something just feels off to me or I don't trust the patient, you know, something's going on. So I sit back there and my partner marks the center out to the hospital and we take off and we go non-emergent. There's no reason to go emergent. So we're no, no lights, no sirens. We're just one with normal traffic and having to hit all the lights and, you know, everything. So it's going to be a slower ride, of course. And but we're not very far from the hospital. So I thought, you know, this is cool. We'll be all right. And um, just sitting back there doing paperwork, and she's very quiet, and I just see the back of her head. And we're almost getting ready to turn the corner to go up into the bay of the hospital. And she spins around. Now, mind you, she's got seatbelt across her, kind of this, kind of high on the thighs belt, and then one under the arms, and then one runs across the legs. So she's in three seatbelts. Okay. And I'm sitting back there, and the way that she was able 
to turn her body, this is the weirdest thing, and she got the creeps thinking about it. She, I'm sitting there, <laughs> I'm sitting there with my tablet and I'm putting all the information in. It's a short transport. I'm going to get my report and get to the hospital. I really don't have much to go on. So I'm just doing my, my, uh, work and I hear movement and I look up and she somehow has managed to, she's spinning around almost like you're just rolling over on your side in bed. She kind of does that, but she gets up on her knees. She puts her hand on the back of the cot because it was in, um, the, the back of the head of the cot was raised some, so it's like she reclined a little bit. So she spins around, grabs the back of the cot, and like puts her chin down like a little kid would that's looking over something tall, and just says, what are you doing? You know, this all happens like in one weirdly fluid moment. So I just remember like witnessing this and seeing how she's positioned herself looking at me. And again, the like the solid dark eye happening so and in my mind the only thing i'm thinking of is like god protect me and this is like a possession that's that's all i could think was happening and i don't remember exactly anything else that was said except i said something to her like excuse me but you need to stay in your seatbelts because you know, it's just the rule when you're back at the end, you have to have you seated. And she kind of like chuckled a little bit and looked straight at me again. And again, I'm just thinking, I don't like your eyes. I don't like your eyes, you know, yeah. I'm trying to be professional and just, you know. So, um, she just ended up like slithering back down into her belts and just sat there. And I already feel that we're going up the, there was a ramp up into the bay where we had to unload her at the hospital. And I already feel we're going up that ramp, and I was so relieved. I was like, okay, I want this to be over with, you know. I don't want to be back there with her anymore. And at the same time, it was really weird that I didn't feel, I didn't feel really frightened. Um, I just felt like, I just felt like I was being a little challenged or, Weirdly enough, it was almost like I felt like I had to stand strong, like I'm not afraid of you. That's kind of how I was feeling, like I'm not afraid of you. Huh. And, it, and it wasn't in a sense that I felt like it was, you know, a combative patient that was, you know, trying to punch me in my face or push me or claw at me or spit at me. We've, I've had just about everything else done to me, you know, by patients that are just being combative. Or, yeah. uh, it wasn't like that at all. It was just kind of a... Did you, it almost felt like I was being spiritually, um, like I needed to be strong. Did you happen to notice, you know, like when you were, when you were getting her into the ambulance and getting her, uh, the, the lap belts and everything across her, <clears throat> did you happen to notice? I mean, was there any, cause so often when you read, um, about demonic possession or, or, or mm-hmm. stuff like that, or, um, people, will oftentimes say that the person that was being afflicted would look at very common, ordinary, 
everyday actions as like bewildered to see, you know, did you notice anything like on her, her expression on her face? Uh, did she look like she was challenged to, to understand what was going mm-hmm. on or, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're, you're making me think of like invasion of the body snatchers right now. Yeah. Or, so, similar, or uh, yeah. Stedford, Stedford wives. That was the name of mm-hmm. Just simple tasks um, that yeah, they really like don't understand. Like they're, yeah, but like they're trying to fake what they're supposed to be doing. Yeah. You're giving me the chills <laughs> because I'm having a hard time like explaining it. And I'm just feeling uh, most of what's coming back to me is, is the, the uneasiness and kind of anxiety. Um, and almost feeling like, I don't know, it's hard, it's hard to explain, but like when you're being physically attacked, it's different than if you feel like, you're being spiritually or emotionally attacked. Mm-hmm. It's a very different um, sensation. It's almost like a, it's almost worse than a physical attack. If that makes any sense. Because I think in a physical attack, you, you know, you, you're trying to fight back. You can punch, you can run away, you know, it's different if it's more of a, it's different if it's more of a, mental or a, somebody spiritually just mm. trying to mess with you to see, you know, what's in your core. You know, it's kind of one of those things. And just feeling like you're in that situation that she wasn't, she, to me, she just wasn't normal. She yeah. wasn't moving or acting or looking normal. Her eyes weren't normal. And... I I often felt like I wanted to find out more about her, you know, like later on. Yeah. Or wondered if I'd ever get a call to her house again. And we never did. And I think I was so weirded out. Like, I think I was more weirded out back then than I would be today because I'm more into the paranormal now. And, you know, I've, I've always loved horror films and everything else, but, this was back when the kids were younger, so I didn't watch, you know, horror mm-hmm. films as much. I wasn't really into it as heavy. So I think it might have might have stunned me a little more. But today, I'm not sure. But it was just very, very abnormal and not... It wasn't anything that I would say... You know, with my regular patient, there definitely was something different about her. Yeah. Did you ever, um, you never, I, I assume, never heard anything back after you dropped her off at the at the hospital? No. You had no. no. So I said, I wish now that I would have tried to get more information on her. But at the time, I think I was just so, like said, stunned by it all. I just wanted to kind of be away from it. And. There were, you know, a couple couple of times when something would be like that, that, you know, you almost want it just to go away and not talk about it. And when there would be something on a run that just seemed out of the ordinary, I don't know if I'm just sensitive to it or empath or what, why, you know, I it, it would mess with me more or make me question things more. 
um, than other people on the run. Like a lot of times I think, why don't they, why don't they say anything about that run? Cause it was really off. You know, is it just me that's seeing these things or thinking that it was, you know, that what? there was more going on than so, you know, that, that, that part of it, I always thought was a little strange too. Like I always wondered if it's just because I'm sensitive to pick up. Well, I, I, my next question is going to be, um, how are you at, because I'm sure whether it's, uh, law enforcement or military or firefighter or, um, you know, emergency room attendant or a doctor, there has to be some form of compartmentalization when you Uh when you are in situations that you see things that the average person doesn't see on a daily basis Uh Uh, you know traumas and stuff like that Um, from what you can remember as far as the people that you worked with um, that you're saying didn't ever really seem to react the same way you did to to these situations was their compartmentalization um a little more defined than what yours is possibly? Mm. Or were you able to, to, to put that all away? I, I guess so. There's just say on some runs, if somebody's being combative and cursing at us or hit somebody or, um, just, or maybe a fireman trips the balls during, you know, on scene, and then we get back to the private house, and all the guys are chuckling about it and telling stories and laughing. And it's almost like when you get back from a run, if, if there's anything out of the ordinary or something funny happened, or or even if something horrible happened, that's like a recap. Like you, you come back in, and everybody will kind of gather together, I guess, because, you know, people need that. You know, the guys that go out in the bay and stand around the fire truck and, you know, pretty soon most of the, everybody on shift is out there and we're all talking about it or making comments, whether it was something funny or sad or, or whatever. Yeah. Um, so I guess that's what's different about something like that. It just seems really weird and off is, you know, sometimes I would want to go back and say, guys, what did you think about, you know, that lady? What, what do you think was going on or? You know, did nothing. It was like nothing would be, no, oh, no, this wasn't really anything that I guess they seemed was worth talking about or, or didn't seem off to them or yeah. something. I think, I think that's maybe got me thinking sometimes like, well, am I just, you know, able in a way when you're sensitive um, mm-hmm. these these people know that they can communicate with you and all those other people are kind of shut off from some of this i don't i don't know how to describe that but um i another patient that i had was you know this elderly lady we picked up from a nursing home that the nurses was saying that she would be combative and and say things that was out of the ordinary and they just wanted her to get an evaluation. So they were sending her in and she wasn't behaving like that with everyone, but you know, a nurse reported it. So, you know, she needed to go to hospital. So we just went and got her and taken her to the hospital. And I'm sitting, you know, on the bench seat next to her 
I'm just writing my report as she's just kind of leaned back with her eyes closed. And all of a sudden she sits straight up and starts like what I would say if someone was like talking in tongues. Oh, really? Yes. And the tone of the voice changed like three different times. So I'm, I'm just, I stopped, you know, working on my tablet and I'm just sitting there looking at her. Her eyes are still closed, but she's just, you know, set up and just babbling what sound like foreign language. I heard a woman's name and I don't know what it was now, but like, was it her name? So it didn't, it didn't sound just like gibberish. Like somebody was just making noises. It, It sounded like a language. Sounded like a language and the tone kept changing, which I thought was weird. Like, I don't know how you would say a normal elderly female voice would sound, but that's basically what, if she made any noise, it was, it was that. Mm-hmm. It wasn't ever coherent the, the whole time. Like she wasn't talking in sentences to me or anything at any point, but I had her in the ambulance. She was just kind of quiet with her head back and her eyes closed. And then she set up and started talking and tone getting deep and then high and then like correctly it wasn't like what an older you know female voice should sound like so I just couldn't remember being really freaked out about that and you think about like Alzheimer's and um, like some patients we would pick up would like be cussing at us and yelling in their family that was there getting maybe it was at the nursing home and the nursing home called family their first family came and then, you know, eventually let's just call 911 and get her to the hospital. So family would be on scene and just bawling. And I, I remember I had a, a daughter of the patient would say she's, she was a devout Christian woman. She never ever cussed a day in her life. She never would even, you know, be mean towards anyone. It's just the disease, the Alzheimer's. Yeah. So, you know, I'm thinking that with this other lady that maybe that's what's going on. But it was so out of the ordinary as far as, like I said, the tone and, and changing. Um, it was almost like she was, kind of if you watch a horror movie and someone's, you know, possessed and then they just start throwing out weird link like the demons talking in different forms and so i i didn't know i didn't know what to do except just kind of you know waiting for it to pass is what i was thinking like okay well this is gonna stop doing this and she did she kind of looked towards cabinets where we a lot of our um gauze pads and all of that i remember she just kind of glanced over she like opened her eyes and glanced at the cabinet for a minute, and I, I just was watching her more of just observing to see what was going to happen. She just closed her eyes like she went to sleep. I don't think she made any sound or opened her eyes until we got her to the hospital and released her to the nurses and gave a report. And you know, I told them that she had you know an outburst, a vocal outburst. You know, I'm not going to tell the nurses that I, you know, it sounded like she was possessed. Right, it's not right. In our profession, we can do, 
Um, we're not to diagnose. We're not to, you know, we pretty much have to report what's happened if, if we've not really given them any medical attention. I mean, a lot of our runs, you know, have the runs where you actually get a patient that you don't do anything other than take their vitals are just a high count. Yeah. You, you get people all the time that, you know, will call an ambulance and you go up there and you're like, oh, you know, I've had them walk to the ambulance and meet us before we even had time to get out. So, um, you know, you get all kinds of, you get all kinds of patients, but, you know, you can't walk into the ER and say, eh, this person called us 911, which should be for life-threatening emergency. They met us at the truck in their coat and their pad and want us, wanted to come to the ER to get checked out. I mean, we just have to, we just have to do our job, you know, and not with no bias. Yeah. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. It's like we put them on the cot and buckle them in and, you know, tell the nurse, well, so they wanted to eval for, you know, not feeling well this week. And the nurses are like, okay, you know, it's just, it's just what, what you do. You don't, you don't get into deep conversation about a lot of things. And in your reports, you know, a, a patient had a, you know, a, a vocal outburst for whatever, you know, two two minutes. Whatever you could you could write out what happened, but you can't give your impression of what you thought caused it or anything like that. Yeah. Now I've so I've, I've had I've had some experience with dementia, and uh, yeah, unfortunately, my mom uh, mm-hmm. hers hers took a took a pretty severe downward turn back. Uh, just before Thanksgiving and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so <clears throat> I'm, I'm used to being around somebody who will say things that, um, seem aren't their normal character. Well, yeah. no, no. Yeah. Um, she would say things that would be goofy. Um, she would, she would make commentary like she was someplace that she wasn't. Um, yeah. she would, she would have, you know, bouts of extreme confusion, um, <clears throat> you know, this sounds funny, but, you know, like sitting on the toilet and then thinking that she was at a beauty parlor getting her hair done. Uh, yeah. Um, but what I, what I can say for sure is I never saw her act out of character. Mm-hmm. Um, she she still has her her sense of humor, um, sometimes misguided now because it's not as you know. But she still finds what she's saying is is to be funny. Um, but I've never seen her just kind of like <clears throat> do an about face and be a completely different person. You know, like you're you're saying that this woman basically just sat up and started mm-hmm. speaking in a different language. Now, I suppose <clears throat> if we're, if we're being, you know, completely transparent, you know, there's, there's a good possibility if she was elderly, she, perhaps she was from uh, a different country or grew up uh, as a child living with people who came over from, you know, Poland or Hungary or, or someplace right. else and, and had an understanding of another language. Um, mm-hmm. But that just seems like a very odd thing for her to just sit up, 
start rambling in in a in a different language eyes closed and then go back into a relaxed state and right and um like say if somebody even if they're you know a, know another language or what would be a foreign language to us it's mad or you know how your voice could crackle or mm-hmm. escalate or you'd have you know you'd have a body language that would go with that too so with some of the elderly patients you know that are delusional or have where they are acting like you're describing your your mother mm-hmm. they it's it's uh you kind of realize that's what's going on you know we we did a lot of nursing home runs and elderly patient runs so to compare it to what I would say is the, the normal uh, behavior of an elderly person, yeah, that's where this was, like, totally different. It's one of the reasons why I've always, you know, remembered it, because it's kind of like I was telling you with the other lady, I almost felt that something was off, and it was almost like my, my soul was telling me that there was something not... Um, not healthy, I guess, yeah. spiritually. Like, I don't even know how to, to describe it. And I get a little, like, I don't know. I get, like, a, um, easier terms. People say freaked out or make some. Well, I mean, you know, thinking. back during that time when you were doing that job and you had these experiences, can I ask you, uh, on a personal level, were you possibly grappling with anything where you were you did you feel at any point that your spirituality let's let's call it uh, may have been diminished or or had had some cracks in in the foundation something that <clears throat> quite possibly this could have been you know uh, Testing you out, testing you out, seeing if you were you're weak enough to, um, allow, mm. you know. Uh, I, I'm not trying to get you know deep into your personal. Um, no, I business, mean I've never. But, I hadn't really thought about it before, but possibly, and I can't pinpoint the exact you know year that mm-hmm. these things happened. Um, I know it was after I was working with the city fire department that I went to in 05. I was with them from 05 till um, 2010 before I moved to a, another fire department. So it was, I don't want to say fire department out loud, but I know that that was, that's who I was with this time. It was within that time period. And I know that I was going through some, like some difficulty with, after my first divorce and I was going through a second divorce and I know that I wasn't, I wasn't with a home church anymore. Like I'd gotten away from mm-hmm. being with my first marriage. I mean, we were, we were at church more than we were at home because we were involved in everything. I helped with Awana. So Sundays we were in choir, we did special music. I, you know, I was always the one taking care of the banquets and, we were just busy at church all the time. And then um, after that divorce, and I really never 
I would attend church, but I never really, you know, like joined a church or mm-hmm. become a member and what some would say faithful served and was active in their, you know, their programs and teach all that. So some some of that there was some turmoil in those years and I was I was a single mom. Um, I'd had another child after my first divorce with uh, someone I didn't marry. So I was having a lot of issues with him and trying to raise my son. And I felt like there was always some conflicts going on with, with me during that period of time. Um, things that just weren't, I mean, I was a Christian, you know, I, no doubt I was saved and I was very God conscious all the time. Um, but, you know, there's, there's, Maybe some times in your life, like you're saying, that maybe there's weaknesses, like you said, wondering yeah. if it's some kind of a test or a trial or, or you know, the devil always working on you kind of thing. Mm. I mean, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's who's possible. to say? I mean, it's, it's you know, I mean, all, all of this, any of this could have been you just, you picked up a woman who has a weird, had a weird disposition yeah. and yeah. you know she you, you didn't tighten the belts as tight as you thought and she was able to just kind of spin around and oh, she was yeah. like say hey, well what are you doing <laughs> you know uh, i mean yeah you know you you can you can assign um uh, and, and i think that's you know that's where and i don't want to use the word your character but that's that's where um your your innate perception of what's going on in front of you mm-hmm. comes into play. And I think that's, I think that's what we have to take into consideration with any of the people that I've talked to on this show or anybody that I've talked to that have had experiences that didn't want to share it on a show. Um, I think you have to take into account their perspective at the time that this happened, you know, and just like you were saying that, you know, sometimes you get back to the firehouse and nobody would want to talk about anything because they didn't think anything was weird, but you were, you were all weirded out about it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, maybe their perspective on the situation, maybe they were more concerned with, should I want to get back to my bowl of chili or, right. um, this we're one, you know, interrupted my TV show or, you know, I was getting ready to wash yeah. the truck and we had to leave and right. you, and you were more focused on, the 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 weirdness of well the mm-hmm. guys really acted kind of strange when we first got there because all they did was a- answer the door and go back to watching TV you know were they being um, <clears throat> you know I guess that's where I, I I wish you would have been able to uh, you know was there any kind of abuse actually going on was there you know yeah. did they did they do a a test to find out that she was uh, you know sexually assaulted or you know, I mean, did the woman just have mental issues and, you know, there's, there's so many different things, but when your gut tells you something like it was telling you that something was very off and you didn't like her eyes and everything you felt about that ride to the the hospital was wrong. Um, that's what we have to pay attention to. You're the one that experienced it and you're the one who is, obviously still having trouble relaying how you felt about it 
Yeah, I do. And I don't, I, and it stayed with you, you for 20 you plus years. Yeah. And I guess that's the point I was trying to make. Like after a lot of runs, people are just openly talking about what we just went through with someone. We're doing it as a group, whether we're joking or being serious or whatever, you know, out in the bay or sitting around the, you know, we, we had a picnic table where we ate in the dining room and stuff. I mean, it's just normal. And then go through something like that and nobody's talking about it. Nobody's saying anything like it was completely normal. I'm not at a place where I want to risk them thinking I'm insane because I want to say that I think that patient was possessed. You know what I mean? There's a, there's a lot that, uh, there's a lot of, I guess, mechanics, as you would say, that go into why some, maybe some things are talked about. Well, and I, I guess, and I, I guess that's wanted, a... I wouldn't have wanted to tell my, my coworkers that with them right. telling somebody that thought I needed to have a mental evaluation <laughs> yeah. and I, and they don't want to talk about it because the same reason. Right. So maybe, maybe you've hit on why it's very odd to me is because no one is talking about it they should be talking about it and they don't. So maybe they did feel something different. You know, and on the, they, the other side of the coin for me is maybe they didn't experience that. They, maybe, maybe not. Maybe. That goes back to, yeah. but, but what I'm getting at is maybe that was a personal experience intended for you. Right, right, right. Not, not that you were necessarily under threat or anything, but maybe this was, uh, maybe this yeah. happened in front of you to, to reawaken something or, mm-hmm. you know, make sure you were or, staying on a certain path. Yeah, or sometimes I think it's because if it's a spirit, they know they can talk to you. Yeah, I've talked to this one. You know, just kind of like you, you hear mm-hmm. a lot of people that do like the paranormal research, ghost hunting and all that. There's certain people that are sensitive and can, you know, say that they are they know the spirit's there or whatever. Right. Um, you know, a lot of people say, well, it's because, you know, they know who they can communicate through, I guess, for whatever reasons, but I don't know. But... You made me think of something that happened recently that freaked me out. It doesn't have anything to do with EMS, but it was in the medical field. Is I went in uh, for a dental appointment, and it's just a normal dental appointment. I'm in there with a hygienist or whatever they call them now, you know, and she was just nonchalantly every now and then would say something to me, and you're like, uh-huh, you know, you can't talk to them because <laughs> yeah. they enter in your mouth and stuff. So it was just a normal what you would expect. And then all of a sudden she said something like, yeah, my sister is going up to that prison in Ohio or something or other. I'm like, hmm? like she, I thought, is she talking to someone behind me? You know, that's yeah. like standing in the doorway now or something. I don't, I don't know. I was just kind of thrown off. And, and uh, she got to a point where she, she had her hands away from my mouth and, and I looked over at her and I said, I said, we go to Ohio some for a vacation. She says, well, this is a, it's a prison that ghost hunters go up there. My sister asked, why is this woman all of a sudden talking to me about ghost hunting? Yeah. Like, we weren't even having a conversation. I'm in a dental chair. Why is she just blurting this out to me you know, now? And I said, uh, 
I said, yeah, I watch a lot of the ghost hunting shows and all. And the whole time I'm like, I felt like my body was getting hot. And I was thinking, I've got to ask her why she just said that to me, (laughs) because we weren't talking about that at all. And so I looked over at her and I, I said, I said, why did you bring that up to me? She, she made no eye contact. She was fidgeting with, with she was making a, a like a, a crown piece. And she said, I don't know. She goes, I don't know why I did. Huh. And I said, and, you know, there was a pause. And I said, well, I just wonder. I said, because sometimes I think I'm sensitive or maybe other people that are sensitive or believe in the paranormal or whatever like we can read each other somehow and maybe you felt like you know i'm trying to get her to explain more to me she's like she says yeah well she said i've seen ghosts all my life that was the next big sentence she popped out holy shit (laughs) (laughs) hello (laughs) a dentist chair i can hear these are like small little exam rooms i can hear all the activity going around down the hall people talking you know holes ringing you know the other hygienist talking to the patients and it's like my head spinning like what is happening right now like all of a sudden I was in a different place and but I wasn't you know that's kind of what I was thinking and I was like um, so I said how I said something like you know, and I'm, I'm spinning around looking at her in, in the chair. And she's just going on working with this thing, you know. And I said, how do you how do you see the ghost? And she said, she goes, well, they're just, they're just around and they're in the rooms. And we have, we have one that lives in our house now. Just about everywhere I go, I see them. And I said, do you think that they're attached to you or like so how such a lot and she goes I don't know maybe both she said I've moved from different homes and you know and not seen the same you know spirits or ghosts whatever she called them and she said and now her her daughter can see them too so she thinks she has what the she shining <laughs> she has the shining <laughs> the shinning <laughs> so, so I'm so now I'm thinking, I said, well, do you, my mind is still trying to figure out why in the heck she's having this conversation with me. Why right. me? Why did that conversation just get started? Could you we imagine if she had, somebody. could you imagine so, if she would have said that to somebody that, you know, like in today's climate, I mean, you got to be careful about just about everything you say. Could you imagine if she would have said that to the wrong person? Yeah. And this is a professional. She's got her little lab coat on and, you know just looks like the type of person that's very professional, very smart, you know, yeah. very intelligent, like that you wouldn't expect would just be blurting out these things to a, you know, a patient. And so, but my mind started to think, is she seeing a ghost in this room with us right now? <laughs> <laughs> Do I come in with one? So I'm thinking, and I, I asked her, I said, well, do you see them in, I said, do you see them in buildings and stores? Because I kind of wanted to know if she was seeing a ghost in there with us or something. You know, I wanted more of the story. And she said, oh, yeah, I do. But I don't. She said, I don't try and make contact with them. Because she said, if I'm, I forgot what word she used. But some like, if she wants to interact with them, then they'll interact with her. But if she 
it's almost like she described like their often her peripheral vision she knows they're there but as long as she doesn't try to communicate with them or let them know that she wants to talk to them they, they kind of stay away yeah. so i'm thinking of like the movie six cents you know yeah is that what it's called yeah um so i was getting a little freaked out about it but i am um, me being who i was i was like well going to ask her what she thinks about Bigfoot, you know? So I said, I said, so do you, I said, do you um, believe in Bigfoot? I said, when we go to Ohio, we go to some conferences up there. It's so important. She said, she said, just like, no, I don't really, I don't believe in anything that I can't actually see that I haven't, that I don't see with my own eyes. This one's just telling me that she believes <laughs> in ghosts. Which she can see so only with her even, eyes and nobody else can see. Yeah, so, but then I'm thinking, okay. So, but it made me think more that that's a real thing for her. Yeah. She believes in that because she sees it. But so I even mentioned, I even mentioned your show because I was like, oh, I've got a friend's got a podcast that would love to interview you sometime. She's just kind of like, was kind of like, mm, I don't know, you know, one of those people. Yeah. Like, but I, it just, what made me, it almost made me feel at that point that it was the same situation we've been talking about. It was almost like she could, she could feel that I was okay to talk to about yeah. that. Mm-hmm. So I, I wish I wish that there was, I guess I wish there was something intelligent that could explain that. Like, why is that? Like, she doesn't talk to any other patient about it. Why me in that instant was, you know, what is it about me that made her either feel comfortable or like it was just an open door? Right. And that's kind of kind of how I feel with some of these other odd situations where, you know, people kind of were were able almost to open a door from where they are and communicate in some way, however that was. Yeah. So I don't know if I like that or not. I just think about it sometimes. Well, I I hate the word sensitive. Yeah, I don't know. It, what, it, I, don't it, know I think I it gets so overused uh, for so many different I, things. But yeah, I, I, that's I think why it's, I want to be intelligent about what I'm trying to communicate, and I can't. I don't. I don't know what. I don't really know what to say about it. I just know how how I feel and what happens. Yeah, but unfortunately, I think that is probably the best word to yeah, to use to describe it. Is you know, I think I think people who who do notice these things are more sensitive to them than others. Um, just flat out, uh, uh, you know, and I don't know. I don't know if people who are like-minded in that, in that sense, if, if they can sense something about somebody that, you know, um, you know, I've got, I've had so many weird things to talk about throughout my life that, you know, I, I never really, I never really worried about what I was saying. Um, Mm -hmm. I would just throw it out there and if they bid on it, okay. If not, then I was like, "Eh, all right. Um, 
but you know, I mean, a lot of people don't don't like to talk about these things because right, and I don't, they're going to get made fun of. Exactly, and I think I wouldn't have not in my early years. I there's no way now. You know, now that I've gotten older and I'm I'm away from I'm, I'm away from a lot of situations where I would be judged. I guess. You know, if you think about you being judged judged by your colleagues or judged by whatever your workplace, um, your family, your church, I don't have to worry about any of that. Yeah. I feel obligated to and I think some of it is just our age too. I think we get to a certain point where <laughs> and this you know yeah, and it's so funny, but I can remember things that were annoying about my parents. My dad lived until he was 86 and just some things that were annoying about him and his, his, you know, last 10 or 15 years. But you start seeing yourself starting to mm-hmm. do this. Some of the things that your parents did that just was irritating. And, and back when you were 15, I will <laughs> never be like my parents. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, Oh boy. There's so many times I'm like, oh my gosh, it just sounded like my dad. Or I remember when mom would do that, and I thought it was weird. Well, I think now, if I think if you are, are a person who um, chooses in life not to not to marry and have have kids, you know, to have a family or something like that, I think you're a little less likely to turn out like your parents. But when you do have children, well, I think yeah. that's where it starts to come out. Because mm-hmm. I never really thought of myself as being, and I've always been pretty perceptive of, of how I acted and stuff like that. And, you know, I had, I loved my parents, but, you know, I didn't want to be like either one of them. But I'm telling you, man, as soon as I had kids, it started. And I, yeah. I would catch myself time and time again. It's like, holy shit, that's exactly what my dad would have said to mm-hmm. me. Or that's exactly what my mom would have said. So yeah. I think I think that's what brings it out in people. Well, I mean, we learn behavior from in our early years, you know. Like a lot of it's embedded in us, and we don't know. But a lot of it's just that we have similar personalities to our parents, whether we want to admit it or not. Right. You know, they they probably were cool like us when we were young too. <laughs> But. Well, Jill, I appreciate you coming back on the show with me. Um, truly some odd, some odd things makes you, you know, I mean, I'm sure there's a multitude of, of explanations, but when you, when you take into consideration your perspective on the things that happened, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, I, I don't think you can, it's just like somebody who says they witnessed a, a Bigfoot or saw a UFO, you know, are you going right. to stand there and, and tell them that they're wrong or that they're a liar or anything like that? You have right. to take, take their perspective. And, you know, when you well, hear the story, it's like, yeah, that's, that's odd. Yeah. And when you get it from someone that you highly respect, you know, it's just a normal person that doesn't, you know, they're very honest and truthful. And then all of a sudden they just, tell you something that they've never told you before and you're like i have no reason not to believe them like it would be so out of their character if they were just 
And my my daughter-in-law told me that she saw a UFO when she was about 12 years old, went told her mom, mom didn't believe her, and was Anchorage, Alaska, of all places, you know. Yeah. And she's telling me this story. I have no reason not to believe her. It's just, it's just not like her to make something up. She's very terrified of any alien show. And, you know, I used to tease her about it because I love alien shows. <laughs> <laughs> and she told me that story once. I never for a minute thought that she was putting on her. Oh, yeah. she saw the way she described it over the house and what it looked like and it would have had to have been like a stealth fighter hovering over her house. That's how it might happen. Stealth fighters might do that. Because you think about, well, you know, could a teenager misidentify something right. like that? But no. She's like 12, 13 years old. They pretty much know. Yeah, you, you've got a pretty, you've got a pretty good idea. A moving aircraft or something that's just hovering where it's not supposed to be and it's huge and black and scared her to death and went in and told her mom and her mom didn't believe her. And she said she was too, you know, upset and terrified to go back outside and see if it was still there or, or look for it ever again or anything else. She said she never did ever see it again. But she said her mom didn't even go outside to see what, to see if what she was telling her was still there. Yeah. You know, yeah. and she, you know, she told me that it's just like it's sometimes things that happened to me over the years, whether it was EMS or even stuff that happened here around the property the past few years. I don't, I just don't jump to the conclusion that it was something paranormal that happened. You know, I keep it to myself, or I'm like, oh, that's really weird. Like, I have missing birds. Missing birds, something had to take them. Something had to take them. Yeah, yeah, there should be a hole, or, you know, there should be some way that they pulled them out. There should be feathers, some blood. Yeah, not, um, not a just neatly closed cage. Yeah, and the same way with these patients. I would, who knows how many patients I saw in almost 20 years' time, you know, every third day for a 24 hour shift, and we would run all day, sometimes have you know, eight, nine runs a day on a, on a busy one. Sometimes I think the most we had once was 11 runs and you figure each run would take us about two hours. By the time you got the run, you know, you went into the house, loaded them up, cut them out of the car, whatever you were doing, got into the hospital, did your report, got back in service. I mean, 11 yeah. runs is a lot in a 24 hour shift. If you look at it taking, you know, two hours time. So, I mean, of all those patients, I mean, how many, how many, patients that I take care of in all those years but then you know it'll be one or two runs that I can talk about now to someone that you know I clearly think that they you know was it a mental illness or were they possessed you know yeah. you just don't you just don't talk about it when you're you know in the field and around professional work there's there's EMS people that have seen they swear like spirits leaving people's bodies they don't talk about it they don't talk about it when they're when it's happening they don't talk about it probably not until they're away from the field unless they've got very (laughs) yeah unless they got a really close co-worker that that they know they can chat and it stays stays with them but that's very rare too i mean something like that you just don't, you don't tell anybody about it. Right. 
you're really thinking about how you need to protect your job. You know, when you're when you're a fireman or a police officer, or paramedic or whatever, you can't. You have to be perfect mentally and physically. You know, um, it's just there's a lot of things that you just keep to yourself until you know, you know, you can share it. I've which, not, which is why they should call me or message me. I know, and, I know. and let me tell their story, and we can keep their name anonymous yeah. and whenever there's whenever there i come across somebody like that and they you know they share something with me then you know just like the dental hygienist lady i was like <laughs> oh my god i used to talk to eric <laughs> did mention it to you i thought if i i was so like it was weird like it was it was in a moment we were talking about it i told her that and she's okay well you can you the you take this front desk, give me my little file thing. I'm like, Oh, okay. I mean, you know, you're weirded out. Like, did that just happen? Yeah. It was very strange, but I, uh, maybe she just sent something about you. I don't know. There was, there was no lead up to it or anything. It was, I'm hoping that if I want to go back sometime, maybe I'll get her again. And I just want to see if she, you know, how she acts around me or if we have the same conversation or she remembers what, what we said. So when you go in and you go to the dentist once or twice a year with different people. So, but if I ever, she ever crosses my path again and we're talking about it, I'll try and she would be a good one to talk to. Cause she, she went on with some more stories. She had people named, the oh, no guy kidding. that lives in her house now that her daughter can talk to. And she said, I guess there was concern with her when her daughter told her that who he was, like they called him Ray or something, would would sit in the bathroom with her while she took a shower. Oh, well, that's not right. <laughs> and her mom, I know, and her mom was like, mm. she was like, well, she, he sits outside the shower. He's not seeing me, you know, and I'm like, uh, you know, I, maybe I think sometimes maybe she needed to tell somebody that maybe that's been bothering her. Yeah. I don't know. But then again, it's like, I don't, I don't either. I, that's, that's strange. I, I wanted, that would be very uncomfortable if my, my child yeah. came and told me that, uh, yeah. And she's like, she's a teenager. I mean, she's an older girl too. Yeah. So she thinks she has her gift or whatever you want to call it. I don't, I don't know what to call that, but, the but you know, the, the whole spirit world is, you know, I just like we both, both of us have experienced, we get signs from our loved ones that have passed and mm-hmm. stuff. I've, I've always been, I guess when I say sensitive, I think of that because like I'm willing to like, I'm, I'm, I notice it. I don't think that I'm looking for it, but it's almost like stuff gets put in your face that mm-hmm. it's there and yep, it's exactly not a coincidence. So you're thinking, okay, they know that I'm okay with them giving me signs. So maybe that's why they communicate with me more. And I guess that's where I think about like the open door thing, like with some of these patients and mm. different spirits and people coming. Like maybe once that door's open, they know, it's okay to show that 
you know, they're still there. Whether it's a good spirit or a bad spirit or whatever, it's like that afterlife of our soul, you know. Yeah. But you know, there's there's some things I've I've had my kids from I say I get signs from some of ones I'm going to have I know with them, but it's just too much of a you know, it's just too much to be a coincidence, you know, and they, they'd always say stuff like, I wish they'd give me signs. And I remember after my daughter lost her twins, um, their little totem kind of became frogs. And, uh, oh boy, that could be another show, me telling that story. But there's a lot of things that happened after the twins died and signs that I was getting, and I heard a voice once, and it had to do with the little girl's name was Annie. That Annie liked frogs, and then so their totem, we we related when we saw frogs, as that was kind of a sign from yeah. them. And we have frogs a lot here in our ponds and everything. And uh, my daughter, one day I, I told her that I said something like I felt like they collected frogs for for Gramsie's ponds and everything, and was seeing them in odd places like where they shouldn't be and all of that and oh man once I brought I have a water um, like a garden fountain that I leave in their garden I made them like a memorial garden and I bring it in in the winter time because it gets water in it I can never get all the water out and I don't want it to freeze and crack so I brought it in I had it in the living room and hadn't yet stored it away anywhere it was just sitting in the living room next to the Christmas tree and uh one day I saw the cats playing with something and went over there and it was a frog. So I, a frog had come out of their fountain. Maybe it had been living in there or whatever. But it was just a situation of it's the winter time and there's a frog in my house. Oh, and I felt like it was just the twins, yeah. you know, yeah. came out of fountain. It's a little boy and girl fountain. And I was like, it just felt like it was a sign of the twins. So they were just always reminding me that, you know, they're still alive. They're just not here in earthly form. And, uh, but she had made some comment about I wish that they would this was a little later on like after several months you know into spring and summer after they passed away and she said something like you know I wish that they would give me signs and it was not a day there was a frog on her window like, like a tree frog was just on her window and it was the time of it's like the time of year that you weren't seeing frogs yet or anything else. And she saw it. She sent me the picture and she's like, Mom, and it was so just a picture of the frog on the window. But she said that when it happened, she just broke down in tears because it was almost like she had if you she enjoy had the said, show, I wish that they would be in Then leave us a rating and a review on iTunes. She was like, Mom, share the show with your friends. Share the show on Facebook. Make sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. All at Uncomfortable Podcasts. And until next week, my friends, stay uncomfortable. I think that we get signs from. I agree. I agree. People reach out to us in the only way that they know how, and just to let us know they're okay, they're alive, they're with us, or, you know, just to make us feel better by showing showing us something. And I've had a lot of things. Well, I think, um, that's, I think that's a great way to end the show. I think yeah. that, that was a, that's a, a heartwarming and... Mm-hmm. 
um, very poignant way yeah. to uh, to finish this up. So. Yeah, I think I needed it because I was very tense and fidgety and feeling a little uncomfortable talking about <laughs> all the other. And now, I've, yeah, that helped. Uh, that's that, was, that was my little healing story to end the show. That was a great way to end it. Jill, I appreciate you being on the show again. It's great talking Anytime. to you always. Yep. Folks, thanks for being with us tonight. And as always, stay uncomfortable. Good night, Jill. Good night. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.